Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Good morning. Man, it is great to be here. I've been hanging around Skyline for a little while, and this is, this is my favorite day of the year. But today, I want to take you back to Super Bowl Sunday 1985. It's the Bears. Wow, we got some old people in here. All right. It's the Bears versus the Patriots, right? It's the Super Bowl shuffle, uh, if some of you are old enough to remember that, right? And it's also two days before the launch of the Macintosh computer, right? And for a few of you who are old enough to remember, this was a major leap forward in the digital revolution, wasn't it? Because, because this is now a computer the size of a box, right? Not a mainframe the size of a house. This truly was a, a revolution. You see, it's got a digital display. It came preloaded with games and programs. It had a keyboard and it had this thing called a mouse, right? I mean, this thing was super cool, very revolutionary at the time. And so Apple had two spots for the Super Bowl. And so they hired uh, Ridley Scott, the movie producer of the films Alien and Blade Runner, to, to actually direct their commercial. And so you can see in this commercial that, that there's not such a subtle hint towards IBM, that's IBM Blue, you can't really see it there, as kind of big brother, right? And then you've got all those lined up in gray who were, who were the brainwashed masses, right? And then in runs this girl with apple colors on, and, and that's about it, right? And she has this sledgehammer and she throws it through the screen, shattering the, the screen, and, and in so doing kind of shatters our paradigm. Now, Apple's board of directors, including the CEO at the time, John Scully, they absolutely hated the commercial, hated it. And they had these two spots now, and they're like, okay, what do we do? So they tried to buy their way out of it and tried to offload a few of those commercials. And at the end of the day, they were only allowed to offload one, and after kind of a, a contentious vote, they decided to go ahead and run the ad once. Well, as history would have it, it became an overnight sensation. It was voted commercial of the decade by advertising age and is still today arguably one of the most famous Super Bowl commercials of all time. The biographer for Steve Jobs, he credits this moment in history, this commercial as the moment that launched Apple's brand identity and into the stratosphere, right? And millions and millions of young creatives all over the world rushed to this brand that many are still rushing to today, somewhat 
odd that their name and logo uh, represents the first sin, right? Which we will talk about today. But that's not what I want you to think about. Does anybody remember what Apple's slogan, what their tagline was at this time? Think different. You're not even old enough to know that. Think different. Think different, right? We say a lot around here, if you want to change the way you live, you have to change the way you think. The Bible calls this the renewing of your mind. And Easter demands that we do this today, right? Because we're talking about the true revolution, right? The revolution that divided history into two. So what was accomplished through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? What, what was it? Was it, first John, or was it John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Amen? That's good. I've been studying the Bible for a lot of my life, and after 51 years, here's what I can tell you, at least my opinion, it's no less than that. The good news is no less than that. But the New Testament authors, they seem to paint a picture that's actually bigger and even better than that truth. And so I'm just going to lay out a, a few of these. We don't have time to go through a bunch, but I, I do want to give you a, a list to expand our vision on what might the cross have been about. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says this, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anytime you see Jesus Christ, it just simply means Jesus the King. What did the king have to say about himself, right? He opens up the scroll and he reads an Old Testament passage and he's saying, hey, hey, listen up, this is me. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus said. John, the beloved, he says this. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil and his works. Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them at the cross. Seems to be stretching our paradigm, taking a sledgehammer to it. Jesus sends Paul later to the Gentiles. Why? To open their eyes that they may turn from their darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, just like that Macintosh computer, we all come with some hard wiring, right? And one of the hard wirings is that we were born into the power of Satan. That's the default setting. But Hebrews 2.14 says this, since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who, are, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I could give you a lot more, but salvation in the New Testament is most frequently depicted as freedom from the devil's power. And that's no small thing, 
Because three times in the book of John, Jesus himself calls Satan the prince of this world. The word he used there was archon. It was used to describe the highest ranking either political official or military official in a given region. So it was like the general of the troops or the prince of an area. Jesus is saying that, that he is, Satan is, the prince of the world. He's the ruler of this world system. And if that's true, we've got to change a little bit how we think how we think about what we just sang and, and living into this victory that Jesus has accomplished for us. It, it also reveals to us that if we aren't in Christ, that we are actually still under control of the enemy. It's good for us to know. Now, the victory that we're talking about, this victory, 1 Corinthians 15 victory. If I get behind, you're going to have to fix me, Carrie. This victory that we're talking about is not some kind of self-help victory. We're not that capable. This victory is about victory in life. Victory in our attitudes, in our emotions, in our mindset, our mental health, our mental stability, the way that we experience victory over temptation. This is about victory living into the way that God designed us to live. Now, this victory, it's not circumstantial. So it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. And it doesn't even matter what happened to you. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. This victory that we're talking about is about truth. It's, it's about what we really believe in our heart of hearts. Because Satan knows that if he can win the victory in our minds, he's already won the battle over and for us. Make sense? That's where the battle's going to be fought. And it's been his strategy from the beginning of time to distort the facts, right? So if he can't get us to deny the cross, he'll, he'll get us to minimize it, to make us think that it's only beneficial after we die. And then we still walk around here on planet Earth in defeat. But God has so much more. I think it's what Easter is about, what Holy Spirit would want you to know today is that God has more for you. And you don't have to wait until you die to experience the win. Amen? I love how Rich Valadas says this. He's a pastor in Brooklyn. He says, the gospel is the good news that God's kingdom has come near through Jesus. And through his life, death, resurrection, and enthronement, that just means when he ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father, that the powers of Satan, sin, and death no longer have the last word. Now, if that's true, if that's true, I think we've got to be honest and ask ourselves, why do so many people still walk around defeated? angry, bitter, worried, sick, anxious, feeling like they don't quite measure up, giving in to the same temptation over and over. Why does that happen? Every human analogy has a breakdown, right? And this one probably will too. But let's, let's go at it this way. Who knows what the latest, the newest federal holiday is. We're going to celebrate it for the second time as a federal holiday this year. Say it louder. Juneteenth. Juneteenth. 
And what's the significance of that? Abraham Lincoln, on January 1st, 1863, announces and signs the Emancipation Proclamation freeing all slaves. But it wasn't until June 19th, 1865, that those that were enslaved in Texas actually got to hear the good news. Right? And this guy, uh, Gordon Granger, he was a general, and he stood on Texas soil, and he read General Orders Number 3 that starts like this. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, the Archon, right? All slaves are free. For two and a half years, they had already been free. They had already been free, but they were unaware, right? Now, we also know that at this time, at least in the north, some of the slaves actually chose to remain enslaved. So I go back to the question. If Jesus' death broke the powers and freed us through his resurrection, then why do so many of us still often walk around in defeat? Two reasons. Unawareness or choice. We're either ignorant to the facts or we choose to remain enslaved. And sometimes those two things get married, right? And when, when, when ignorance uh, marries uh, choice, sometimes we end up believing a lie. You're not good enough. You're not worth enough. You are your past, your addiction. You will never break free from that sin in your life. You're alone. Nobody ever is really going to love you. In fact, you're all you've got. You don't need God. And he's not that good anyways. Because if God was really that good, then fill in the blank wouldn't have happened. What's the big deal with sin? Sin isn't that bad. You see, the devil knows that if he can lodge a thought into your mind, that it can take root into your life and dramatically impact how you live in his domain. In Satan's dominion, his kingdom, his reign. But the kingdom of God, and Jonathan talked about this last week, is the dimension, it's the realm in which God invites us to live into here and now on planet earth. See, the kingdom of heaven, whenever you read that in the Bible, it equals the reign of God. And Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. What does that mean? It's here, right now. It's the reign of God. It's, it's the range of his effective will. It's that sphere where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That, my friends, is our promised land. But Satan uses all sorts of lies to block us from the promised land, doesn't he? You guys remember what happened after the nation of Israel miraculously walked across the Red Sea on dry land? God had a promised land for them. He said it's going to be better than you could ever imagine. What happened? Moses sends out the 12 spies. 
10 of them come back with a story of deception. They said, you know what? It's everything that we thought it would be and more. It's the most beautiful land I've ever seen. The fruit, the fruit is huge, and so are the people. And they talked about these giants to the leaders when they came back. And they're like, I know God promised us that, but we can't have it. These people are huge. Numbers 13.33 says this, there we saw giants. There we saw giants. They were the, the descendants of Anak or, or the Nephilim, if you've heard people talk about that. That's, that's who we're talking about right here. And this first part of it, I get. He says this, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. I get that. See a giant, I look at me, I feel like a grasshopper. But look at this next thing. He says, and so we were in their sight. Now where did that come from? How on earth would they know what they look like in their sight. See, they believed a lie that was put, planted in their minds by the enemy, and that became the barricade, right? There's the promised land. I see the promised land. I hear the promised land is about everything uh, where milk and funny's, uh, milk and funny? <laughs> and honey is flowing, right? And, and the fruit is unbelievable, and this land is yours. But you can't have it. You can't have what God wanted for you. They're too big. And so this barricade gets set up and keeps us from the promised land. And so a nation wanders around in a desert for 40 years. This was theirs. This is what stopped them. A lie planted there by a liar. A trip that should have taken 11 days. They wandered around for 40 years. 14,589 days of missing out on God's blessing. You get that? 14,589 days of missing what God had promised them, what God had intended for them. Isn't that the economy of sin? The economy of sin isn't that God's not going to forgive you for that sin, so stop it. The economy of sin is that we miss out on God's blessing irretrievably. They missed out on 14,589 days, and they couldn't get it back. Only two got to go into the promised land, all because of a seed that was planted in their minds by a liar. And people, humans, chose to believe the liar over God. That's the oldest trick in the book. Literally, it's the oldest trick in the book. Genesis chapter 3, verse, 5, uh, verse 1. Now, the servant, servant, serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat of any tree in the garden? I mean, can't you just hear it? The attitude and the accusation. Did God really say? And she corrects him and she's like, no, 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 we can, we can eat of the trees of the garden, just not the one in the middle. In fact, we can't even touch it because humans embellish, right? We can't even touch it or we will die. And Satan's like, you're certainly not gonna die for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And so the enemy plants this seed in somebody's head 
that maybe God can't be trusted. And maybe his intentions aren't that good. When the woman saw, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, and he took it and ate it. And they began to die. And now we're not sure exactly the timeline on this, right? Six days creation, seventh day he rested, and I think we just kind of assume that sometime before lunch on the eighth day, the apple's already been eaten. But we don't know that. We don't know how long it took, right? We don't know how long this seed was sitting in their minds just marinating. But what we do know is that at some point, Eve did what you and I do. She acted on what she'd been thinking. And so I think it begs the question today, what seed has the enemy planted in your mind? Is it a seed of bitterness? A seed of fear? Worry? Is that seed in your mind where you just keep going back to the same temptation over and over and don't believe you have an out? Is there anything in you that just is lacking self-worth today? Here's what I want to tell you. Heavenly Father does not want you to hear that. Heavenly Father does not want that in your mind. So if it's in your mind, you're in enemy territory. See, the devil knows that the battle for your life, the battle for your happiness, for your contentment, for your peace, for your salvation, it's not going to be an external battle. He's already lost that one. This is going to be an internal battle that's fought in the battlefield of your mind. See, Satan knows this. He knows what the psalmist knows, what the proverb writer knows, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, that seed just gets planted, and it grows down, and it takes root, and we begin to let that become our identity. So maybe today, the greatest day on the church calendar you're wondering if this victory that we were singing about and what is this weird thing that they're raising their hands in my church, if you raise the, your hand, you better have a question, right? So what's going on with all of that? Could I possibly lean into, live into that victory? For some of you, I believe you'll start to hear this narrative going off in your mind. Don't get your hopes up. The hype won't last. Even though the music was great and the message was okay, it's just not going to last. It's just not, not going to work for you. It's not going to be long until you're back doing the same things that you were doing before. So, so this victory thing, it's, it's for somebody else. It's not for you. You always revert, revert, revert back to the way you were. You're a grasshopper. And I'm telling you, don't buy the lie. Let's look back at that grasshopper thing. Was that true? Two people who went in the first time, they believed God would give this land to them. This is ours. The other 10 convinced the people not to go. Two people, one of them's Joshua. And Joshua's 
in 40 years later, in the promised land, in Rahab's house, right? And what did Rahab say to him? Did Rahab say, hey, you know, y'all are going to have to be careful here because you look like grasshoppers. Is that what, is that what she said? No, no, no. Joshua chapter 2 says this. says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sihon and Og to the two kings of uh, the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, listen, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the, Lord, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth below. Amen? Here's this nation wandering around in a desert for 40 years and they did not look like grasshoppers. They bought a lie and I'm telling you today, I'm shouting today, don't buy the lie. God can do what we cannot do. And Easter is about good news. And I got good news. And it's not that you can muster up the superpowers to remove or knock down the barrier that keeps you from being who God intended you to be. It's not about that. In fact, it's not about anything that you can do. It's about what he has done. And we see that in, the, in that same chapter. Genesis chapter 3, we see the foreshadowing. It says this, and I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. See, in the garden, in the garden, there was this barricade that was set up that would keep humanity from being all that God created us to be. And it was permanently set up unless God would make a way. And he would. He says to Satan, your offspring's gonna have a little tango with Eve's offspring. And I'm gonna tell you how this war is gonna win, end. You're gonna bruise his heel, but he is gonna crush your head, Amen. And that's why, I mean, this, this is the story. This is the story in the first few pages of the book, right? I, I love spoiler alerts, right? We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder, where's this whole thing going? Jesus is going to take some blows. But in the end, he's going to get the victory so that we can say that he has disarmed, past tense, disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of him by triumphing over them on the cross. You see, Jesus storms the gates of hell, right? And he takes it down and he gives life to life. If there's going to be victory... There had to be a battle. And there was a battle that was going on at that cross. And that battle continued into the tomb. And that battle raged on when Jesus went into the depths and grabbed the keys. And there was overwhelming victory when the stone was rolled away. And Jesus steps out alive forevermore, the firstborn from among the dead. So we can sing and it's not hype. The war is over. We have been set free. We are victorious. 
This is the good news. This is the gospel of Jesus the King. This is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And the truth sets us free. And since all of you aren't nodding yet, I want to make sure that you really get what I'm saying. Jesus is not planning to plant the flag of victory in the ground. Jesus is not on his way to conquering sin and death. He's already conquered sin and death. He didn't say on Good Friday that I'm getting pretty close to doing what I came here to do. He said, it is finished. The battle has been won. I have done what you cannot do for yourself. I stormed the enemy lines and I have set you free. So some of us just need to change the way we think and stop wandering around in circles and cross over into the victory that he's already accomplished for us. So yes, 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 a million times yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will never perish. Yes, that's true. But you know what else is true? The power of hell has forever been defeated. So why would we choose? Or why would we? Let me just ask you this. Why would we spend one moment of our life living in hell, here and now, and risking it for eternity? Why would we? Only two reasons. Unawareness or choice. And today we've taken unawareness off the table, haven't we? So we must choose to not allow ourselves to stand condemned by a liar and a murderer who's already been condemned. John 16, 11. And what that requires out of us is that we think different. That when that narrator when you leave here and the celebration is over and it's Monday or Tuesday or next week and that narrator starts talking in your head again that you can't do something, you can't let it go, you can't move into the promised land. When that narrator starts talking in your head, you know what you got to do? You got to take that thought captive and make it obedient to who? King Jesus. Is that thought, is that thought something that the guy who went to that cross and died for me and raised up from the grave, does he want me to know that? And if the answer is no, then you've got to bind that thing up and send it back down to the pit of hell from which it came. And we have the ability to do that. Because at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, it said that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you. Amen? We're going to celebrate. If this is your first time here, you're going to love it. But we're going to celebrate. And here's the deal. If we can shoot millions and millions and millions of dollars worth, worth of fireworks in the air to celebrate our independence from Britain, surely we can do a little bit better than that 
as we celebrate today our independence, our freedom from Satan, sin, and death. Amen? Amen.